One of my very first guests to No Mercy was the legendary rapper himself, Snoop Dogg. He not only opened up his studio to me, but his world, revealing the difficulties of his early life, gang banging and going to prison, along with the origins of his collaboration with Dr. Dre. He then details how he's become one of the most utilized names in advertising, from pitching products like sparkling water to insurance. Did you know the man is so popular as a salesman, he might even be forced to change the name of his breakfast cereal, Snoop Loops, because it's become too big? But most importantly, Snoop describes how even though he found immense success within music, he wasn't finally at peace until he started realizing he needed to talk less and listen more. So without further ado, let us listen to what this musical icon has to say. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Oh, I couldn't wait to do this interview. I'm with my brother here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, multi-platinum, Emmy Award-winning rapper, an actor, a television host, an entrepreneur, and the new owner of the legendary Death Row Records. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to No Mercy, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Calvin Brodus Jr., but the world knows him as the one and only Snoop Dogg. What's Hello. up, big boy? What's up, big talent? <laughs> Stephen A., what it do, baby? <laughs> you know, it's an honor to treat when players meet, man. It's, I'm so happy to be on your show. I'm happy that, you know, you're doing different things and venturing out and showing us how to be a multimedia person and how to diversify your portfolio. Man, I appreciate that, man. We go back so many years, people don't realize how often we communicate. And by the way, even though you love your Lakers and you yeah. come to me and we talk sports <laughs> all the time, we talk a lot about life. We've been talking for years. I've yes. always appreciated the love you've shown me. Before I even get into you, because this is about you. Okay. you know I love you, my brother. You know that, right? Tell me. I, I get this out the way. You know your Lakers gonna have a little bit of trouble this year, right? Los Angeles, Lakers, you, you do, think so? you do understand. You do understand, right? Well, I was talking with Steph Curry, right? Okay. And Steph told me a little birdie told him that don't sleep on the Lakers. And mm-hmm. then when we picked up Patrick Beverly, Steph called me and said that was the piece to the puzzle, not to win a championship, but to win the spirit back. Because we missing the spirit in LA right now. We right. play with a spirit. That's one thing about a team that wins championships. It's a spirit that the fans have and the team have. And we didn't play with that last year. And that's what was missing. And I feel like the spirit brings you closer to the championship. You got to have a spirit in order to get to the ship. I'm going to tell you this real quick. I love the pickup of Patrick Beverly. I love him. He's a Hall of Fame pest. Dog. And he's the kind of dude. And, this, and listen, I told this to Jeannie Buss and others. He's the kind of dude that's going to say and do everything that LeBron James wants to do but can't. Thank like, he's going to get in people's face. Thank you. He's going to be ready to start fights. Thank I'm talking you. about what his own teammates, mind yeah, you. I'm real. talking about with everybody. He's going to hold cats accountable in a way that LeBron is not going to. So I do love that. I will admit that. I'm glad we picked him up because we was missing that element from our team because it's like LeBron's the alpha dog and everybody else is just everybody else. We need somebody to contest the alpha dog, and the rest of the team, and actually be accountable by showing his actions on the court by locking up. Mm. Defense is key. You got to lock up in the NBA. When we talk so much, so many times when we're talking about sports, Snoop Dogg, we talk about life as Mm -hmm. well. And it's not just about the modern-day athlete. It's about modern-day people. Yes. Just the mentality of where we are as folks today. When they talk about Snoop Dogg, you've transcended 
Okay, you withstood the test of time. I spoke to LL recently, and we know how long that brother's been back. Yeah, that's been around. Too. And here you are. As you sit back here in the year 2022, reflecting on your life, who you are compared to who you've been, mm -hmm. what do you see? I see the, uh, the growth from a boy to a man to a leader to a father figure to a mentor to someone who knows how to listen. I became a better listener as I got older. And that's what we don't tap into because as we get older, we feel like we know so much that we want to talk and tell. Mm -hmm. But as I got older, I learned how to listen. And I believe that gave me more wisdom. And that's where I'm at right now with it. I'm able to listen, to understand, and then to be able to converse and to create and execute. When did you get to a point where you knew you needed to listen? Where you looked at yourself and you said, I'm not listening enough. I'm not learning enough. When did that moment hit you? That probably hit me with me and my wife, you know, mm -hmm. at home, you know, having turmoil and ripping and running and doing too much out in the streets and then coming home and taking out my frustrations on her. I feel like a, a entertainer is like an athlete. Mm -hmm. We take the abuse from our coaches and our fans, but we come home and we pour it out on our spouse. And I was guilty of that. And once I understood that, I had to understand that maybe I should listen to my wife instead of talking all the time. Mm. Let me see what she's talking about as opposed to making her try to see what I'm talking about. And it helped me understand life better to get a better perspective from home first. If the home ain't right, ain't nothing else going to be right. Did that come from it, an epiphany hit you? Were you in, did you go to therapy because the wife got I you did. to go to therapy? I, I did. Mean, what, what, I God, did, talk about it for a second. How you know? Have you been talking to my wife? <laughs> I just suspected it. Too. I just How you going to say that? <laughs> yes, I went to therapy with my wife. She, she suggested that we go get counseling, and I was up for it. I'm not too big for help, and mm -hmm. I went and sat down and poured my heart out to this lady that I didn't know, and she helped me get better. Mm. How long ago was this? This was probably about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And it helped me tremendously with, with a lot of stuff because it wasn't just with my wife. It was my life. Mm. You know, when you seek help, it helps you eternally and internally. And it's like people don't understand that because we so used to thinking if we get help, we crazy or something wrong with us. No. Mm. Help is necessary when you need it and it's okay to get it. Let's rewind the clock back to when you were a young kid growing up in Long Beach and you know, Snoop Dogg, how did it all start? I heard you've been rapping since you was like 12 years old for crying out loud. Prior to yeah, that, you yeah. was you was playing <laughs> piano and performing in the church. Talk, yeah. Tell everybody about the young Snoop, that, so, you know, what people might not know. The young Snoop was uh, brought up on the east side of Long Beach. My mother raised me with my two brothers. Um, grandmother put church in us, so we definitely had to be in church. We had to learn how to play instruments so I learned how to play piano we had to learn how to sing we had to learn how to perform we had to learn how to present presentations when it was black history month we had to speak on certain historians that were black and do research and give an oral presentation mm -hmm. so it was a lot that was taught to me as a kid before I became a rapper mm -hmm. and then once rap came out I think it was the Sugar Hill Gang and then it was Super Rhymes it was every rap that came out in the late 70s early 80s I learned all of their words before I learned my homework mm. and it was starting to become apparent that the music was a factor to me that I liked that more than school so I started taking the raps that I heard and just putting my name in it mm. and at the time I was in love with a rapper named Cool Rock Ski okay. from the um, Fat Boys mm -hmm. so I became Snoop Rock Ski <laughs> so that was my name <laughs> for the first five or six years of my rap career 
You know what I'm saying? And I would battle people. I would just show up and show out, get uh, detention from school because there would be big crowds of people around and they would think it was a fight, but it wasn't. It would be me rapping and mm -hmm. little dude in the middle of the crowd, and, you know, with a little voice, but he rapping and talking mess. And it just became something that I loved doing and it became my passion. Like, I love sports. I love playing, but I didn't love practicing. Mm -hmm. I didn't love the coach talking to me like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't love lifting weights. This rapping thing was something that was like, it was easy for me. Mm. How receptive was your family in terms of supporting your dreams or whatever? Because a lot of times, if you're sitting up there, particularly in the rap game back then, you know, you saw opportunities to make some money, to be successful or whatever. But if you're a parent, you're like this, wait a minute, is that going to really make you some money? Are you going to be successful that way? Did you have those kind of challenges? You know what? My mother didn't know I was a rapper. I was mm. a, a rapper slash good kid and then I was working at a department store and then I was introduced to cocaine. Mm. I started selling crack because all of my homies was and it was the epidemic when they dropped it off in the hood and it just was there and it was easy money. I had a job, Stephen A., where I was making $85 a week mm. working at Lucky's a department store, bagging groceries. Mm. Nice kid. Coming home every night but when I come home, my homies standing outside selling crack. They making $1,500 a night. So I pay no attention to it in the beginning, and then it's like week after week. So then one of the homies like, Girl, how much money did you make on your check this week? And I was happy. I was like, $85? <laughs> that nigga pulled out about $4,000. I'm like, good, this is what I made today. Mm. So I had to make a decision. Do I want to keep doing this 9 to 5, or do I want to make the fast money? And I was a teenager, so I jumped in, started making the fast money, and became a lightweight gangbanger drug dealer while rapping. Mm. But at the same time, it's like you can't do them both. Right. So it became a, a, a fighting. I was fighting myself because mm. everybody knew I was dope. The hood, they loved my music. I made tapes. Mm -hmm. They loved me. They was like, you a star in the hood. Right. But I still was selling dope and gangbanging. And it was like, which one you going to do? And nobody from Long Beach was on at the time. So it was like, it's a hope and a wish. Did you find yourself very, very concerned? Because usually people in the game, the drug game, they gang banging. You know, obviously you got to have a level of fearlessness. But at the same time, there's no question that fear comes with that because you could be here today going tomorrow. Did that reality into your head at any point as you would live in this kind of life for yourself? I think it did, but we was living dangerously. I think that Warren G probably had. More concerned for my life and my career than I did. Mm. Warren G was so instrumental back then with telling me I was dope, making me rap, being like Don King, like the fucking Snoop is the shit, dot, 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 dot. Like the one that fought for me. Even times where I was like, man, fuck this rap shit. He wouldn't let me quit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that was like my, my go-to because that's right. my best friend. But when, wait, wait a minute now. Because you're trying to tell me there had come a point where you contemplated quitting yes. the rap game? Because I'm thinking you could do both. No. You could do both. And you're saying you couldn't do both. No. It wasn't no money in the rap game. Mm. See the key? Money. Mm. What drew me to the crack game? Mm. Money. Right. I was making money at the grocery store, but it was only $85. But to me, $85 in high school was the shit. Mm. But damn, I see 4000 And he ain't got to go to work. Right. He just standing outside <laughs> in front of my apartment. Right. <laughs> so that happens for you and then ultimately when did you reach a point where you said okay I'm gonna be about this rap game and I'm not gonna be about that life was it when I got locked up, up you got locked up I got locked up they gave me eight months which year 1990 okay 
So while I'm in there, everybody in there rapping from a, a gangbangers are rapping now. This is Ice Cube and WA. This is around that time. So now I don't know if y'all know it or not, but gangbangers are becoming rappers now because NWA has given us hope. Yeah. That And so every neighborhood has a gangbanger that can rap. So when I'm locked up, naturally when my homies see me, they like cugging now. So I'm battling niggas from this hood, this hood, this hood, this, and I'm beating them all. Mm. So it comes a point in time where I'm getting towards the end of my sentence and all of the OGs in there come and sit me down. They like, huh, we don't want to see you in here no more. Nigga, you a star. This is in jail. This is in, in jail. This is in jail. Mm. Nigga, you a star. You ain't regular. You ain't like none of these motherfuckers in here. When you get out, if you come back in here, we fucking you up. Straight like that. They said, don't come back. We fucking you up if you come back. And that's what kept you. You too good to be coming in here. That shit stayed on my head like. Mm. The worst place in the world to give the best advice. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah. They see something in me that I need to look at. Mm. I need to look at me. So when you get out, knowing that they gave you that kind of advice. Look at the crazy shit when I get out, Stephen A. I'm listening. When I get out, I go right back to the dope spot, but I don't sell dope. One of my homies... I ain't going to say his name, but okay. he was a real nigga. No was selling dope for me. I didn't ask him to. He was just, dog, I'm going to sell this so you can have some money while you're doing your rap shit. Because mm. I don't want you in the game. So I didn't touch no more selling the crack, but I was around it. Then I had to get away from it fully because that's when the music kicked in, when we started recording and making tapes and going to the back of the VIP and found different producers that would work with us. And it was like becoming our seven... Seven day a week job. Like we really two on three, me, Warren G and Nate, dog. We lived this shit then. It was like, fuck that. This is all we got. We going in for it. It's interesting, man. Telling you the story as much as you and I have talked over the years. I never told you what I'm about to tell you. It's amazing. I'm living in Hollis, Queens. Wow. I ain't got that kind of game. I don't play like LeBron. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I didn't play like 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 ultimately Stephon Marbury would ultimately play or Kenny Anderson used to play or Rod Strickland or Dwayne Pearl Washington mm. in Syracuse or any of these cats. I could ball good enough where they knew that I was good enough to get a scholarship. I had a sweet J and the whole bit. For me, I often remind folks it was the it was the cats in the hood selling dope, making selling coke, doing the whole bit along with a bunch of Muslim brothers, the mm. combination of the two from two different locations. Mm. And they literally said, we better not ever see you doing this. We gonna whip your ass. Don't you even think about something like you that. You got doubled down and they, on. And, and, and I got doubled down <laughs> on from both sides of the spectrum. And I've often said, they've saved, they saved my life because they weren't even talking sports. They said, you gonna be somebody. You're a rebel with a cause. You're going to make a difference. And that's what they told me. And I'm thinking about that as you tell me that story yes. now. How much do you feel you owe those people that did that for you? And what do you believe you give back to them to this very day? Because knowing you, I imagine in some way, shape, form or fashion, you're still giving back to them. Yeah. Uh, well, when I got out, I connected with some of them that was in there with me. And when I got my deal and I made it, I had a couple of them come hang out and, you know, be a part of the circle or whatnot. And they was happy for me and proud of me. But I feel like the information that they gave me helped me focus on being a better me and being a better mentor and teacher because I was taught. 
anytime you're taught, you're supposed to continue the teaching. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what they taught me helped me to have a mind state to say, okay, when I do become successful, I'm not just going to be a dope rapper. I'm going to be a businessman, a father. I'm going to create things in the community, a football program, because I love football, and I'm going to send kids to football high schools and colleges all around the world. Didn't know that I would have 41 kids in the NFL, 20 active right now. Mm. Didn't know that I would send 14,000, 15,000 kids to Division I colleges. Didn't know that I would have a a road scholar, a fireman, a police chief. Mm. All of these things from all of these teachings that I got from them Mm -hmm. to be able to learn enough to be able to teach myself, to teach others that it's okay to go back and build in the community for the youth. Because sometimes we go back with the wrong intentions to try to help out the wrong people. Mm. When you're helping out the youth, those are the right people because that's the future. I listen to you and I remember, uh, to me, when you think about Snoop Dogg, you're synonymous with Death Row. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is back in the days with Suge Knight, with, 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 with Dr. Dre and others. Obviously, Dr. Dre and your relationship. I mean, I really want you to talk about how that relationship got started because that's my bucket list. Right. You know, that's the person. I, I mean... When you talk about somebody that is on my bucket, I met him one time. Really? I met him with Dr. Dre. I mean, I think he is the greatest. It's it's just it, no one can touch him. Talk to me about how that relationship started and how that helped you get to where you are today. That's crazy because Warren G walked me to Dr. Dre. Warren G is Dr. Dre's half brother through marriage. Mm. So Warren G would always feel like I needed to be with Dre. Even when they was in the NWA heyday and I was young, he would always press the issue. Mm-hmm. So once he, you know, gave Dre the music and Dre loved the music, we began working. And then it became a certain point in time where Dre was like, I need you to come with me. And then we would hang out together. Then we would ride together. We would go on missions. This is before we were married. So it was like we would go, <laughs> you understand me? If it was two females, they was definitely friends. They stayed in the same apartment building. We ride out there to see him. He go his way. I go my way. We meet back up, jump in the car. I slap a tape in, listen to music, inspire, inspire. Boom, we doing that. Back to the studio, make a song. So our bond became, he had just left, left in WA. Okay. So I feel like he was looking for a brother, but I wasn't a big brother, someone who could outweigh him. I was somebody that was a humbling soldier that was ready to learn. And at the same time, I was down for the get down. And I was my penmanship, my my eagerness to get out there and to write for him. Remember, the first record was about him. Mm. I was all about writing for him. Deep cover, nothing but a G thing. That's Dre right. Day, Let Me Ride. These are records that we wrote for him to make him the ultimate star because we believed in him like he believed in us. And I believe that our relationship became family because he seen my work ethic for him and then we bonded over the years and we've been a part of each other's life and i'm gonna tell you this you're the first one to hear this me and dr dre been working on the album for the past two months and it'll be done in november and it's produced by dr dre it's our 30th anniversary to doggy style wow and the name of the album is missionary why that name the first album was Doggy Style. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. That is beautiful. <laughs> I love it, man. Hey, you I got love- it first, Steve, and they ain't nobody I, got I, this I, information. This sits with the king. I, you hear I, me? Man, I feel you, no doubt. Snoop, we look at the world of hip-hop right now. You've got about, what is it, 17, 18 albums? I think I'm on number 20 or 21. I, th- I mean... 
Because remember, I, I did the, gospel the, albums, yes, I did yes, reggae yes. albums, I did. Yes, yes. I, I mix and match, Stephen. I don't, I don't. My mother told me to be the best me that I can be, mm -hmm. and I love music and I love people. Mm -hmm. And one thing about me, I'm gonna make music for people. And sometimes mm -hmm. the music that I make may be for these people, mm -hmm. but I love people. So how about that? Death Row Records. No. Yes, yes, sir. You are the new owner. Please believe it. How that happen? Stroke of luck, grace, grace of God. Um, actually, I was looking to get my masters back from doggy style. That's what I was searching for. And during the process, they were the people that had it were charging more for the masters than for death row. So I had to ask myself, do I want the masters now or do I really want to go back and get that legacy that nobody knows is for sale right now? And snatch it up and re you know, refurbish it and bring it all back to life again and then work on my masters. So figured out a plan to get it, bought the label, the IP. Then the next step was get my doggy style masters. But I started thinking about all of the other people that was on death row that didn't get paid, that was a part of the projects, and their records was there as well. So I said, How much for all of the masters on death row? They gave, me, they gave me a number. I bought all of those. Then there was one more piece missing. It was the publishing because you got the masters, but you got to have a publishing. So how much for the publishing? Give me that, too. That sounds like a lot of money, Snoop. It's a whole lot. And you could afford it because you Snoop. It's a whole lot. I mean, you got to make moves. You got to make it happen for the things that you want in life, you know. I've never been one to buy a $100 million mansion or, you know, $3 million cars, but I've always been a businessman for real estate and making sure that I got something that's going to be here when I'm gone. Mm. What's, what should the legacy of Death Row Records be in your eyes? The legacy of Death Row Records should be one of the most prolific, dominant, business-minded companies to come out of the West Coast that comes and stays with you for a lifetime. Just like any other franchise, they had a couple of bad years. But if you're a great franchise, you bounce back and you get it right. Dr. Dre was once a part of that. Yes, sir. Dr. Dre, that's my guy. What's um, he going to be now? <clears throat> what, what, what's he going to be with it now? Well, he produced my new album mm -hmm. that I told you that's coming out yep. on Death Row Aftermath. Missionary is the title. Yes. You heard it here first. Mm -hmm. So that's a produced by Dr. Dre album. And we may give you that exclusive interview first because he was trying to figure out who we're going to do that interview with first because he don't really do all that talking. But he was saying it's a few people that he wouldn't mind. But he's going to love talking to me. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm just curious. I, I just think that he's the greatest that I've ever seen. I, th I think he is that dude. I can't, I can't think of anybody that equals Dr. Dre in my mind. So what do you think about the Super Bowl performance when you were sitting at home watching that, Stephen? I thought y'all, I was so proud of y'all, but I only had one, one, one beef. Talk to okay? me. Okay. Well, first of all, what's my name? Mm-hmm. All right. Did, did, did you do, did you, did you perform that song? It wasn't my show. It was Dr. Dre's. That was a problem. That's, <laughs> you got to have what's my name. You understand? Was, you, you have to have it. You, Steve, you have to have it. I was it. there to one. be the co-pilot. I understand. I understand what you <laughs> asked me. It was a phenomenal show, but it was that and the fact that I, I wanted more Eminem with y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More. Because I just think that he's just phenomenal. Do you know the breakdown? Now that I can say what the breakdown was, what? it was only 12 minutes of performance. I know. Between Dr. Dre's catalog, Snoop Dogg's catalog, 50 Cent's catalog, Mary J. catalog, and Kendrick. Yes. And to be able, and then Eminem, yeah. to be able to throw all of that together. I can forget that last part, but I'm going to end it by saying this.
I'm going to end this portion by saying this. I mean, could you imagine had that from the depths of the sea I mean, back to on. the block? Snoop Doggy Dog Funky is the, the, the doc went solo on that ass, but it's still the same. Long Beach is the spot where I serve my cane. Come follow on, me, follow me, me, follow me, follow me, but don't lose <laughs> your grip. Nine Tris ain't the years there for me to fuck up. Shit. Hello. That's so far. <laughs> That's so far. Come on, man. Come on. That's my only regret. That should have been there. Super but you know what, Stephen A? Right. We're going to speak it to existence. They're going to have Snoop Dogg come back and perform at the Super Bowl in about three, four years by itself. But it needs to be a sofa. It needs to be a sofa. It depends. Is it coming back? I'm just saying, it has to be a sofa. Sofa was good. Would the NFL it. bring it back? I understand it. Either sofa, Run that back, either sofa or Jerry World. Oh, yeah. Jerry's World is Jerry. Yeah, come either on. Either sofa or Jerry World. So I ain't mad One at that. One of the other words. I ain't mad at that. My man Snoop. Come on now. <laughs> Run that back, Godel. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? How do you feel about yourself now as you reflect not just on your career, but your life and how people view you now. You're a freaking pitch man for crying out loud. I can't even count the amount of endorsements, <laughs> the, the, the amount of do- endorsement deals you seem to have right now. I'm, I'm chasing Shaquille O'Neal. Ass. Yeah, you are. You are. Everybody chasing him. Everybody chasing him. I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to catch him. I'm chasing but, but that you, man. But you up there right now. You, you're talking about a cat from Long Beach mm-hmm. who obviously was on the wrong side of the tracks Definitely. and openly admits Definitely. that. Definitely. Um, openly. Th- that's right. And here you are now. People are looking at you and advertisers and sponsors are yeah. coming to you. And they let me be me, Stephen. Hey, that's the beautiful part. Yeah. I don't have to, you know, alter my ways or try to be nobody else. They love Snoop for being Snoop because right. they realize who I am. I'm a human being that has flaws. Mm-hmm. I make mistakes. But one thing about me, I got a good heart right. and I care and I'm a giver. And when you're a giver, you give more than you receive. I'm the gift that keeps on giving. But people didn't look at cats that way, particularly when you had that whole West Coast, East Coast battle back in the day. People didn't look at y'all like that. Because we didn't didn't control the narrative. We didn't have media. Like right now, we control the narrative with media because we, we got Instagram. We got Facebook. We got all of these different platforms that can provide your own way of telling your story Mm -hmm. back then we had no control so if vibe magazine said puffy and biggie and tupac and death row was into it you believed it Mm -hmm. not knowing that me and biggie and puffy hung out all the way through the death row shit wow to the end to to tupac's death to biggie's death i had a relationship with all of them i'm gonna go i'm gonna veer left for a quick second here if Tupac and Biggie were alive, what would that be like? I'm talking about the rap game. Nothing else. I'm talking about how gifted they were as lyricists, as performers, as artists. What would it be like today? You got to understand that. Look at the peers. They're, Biggie and Tupac are peers with Snoop Dogg, Jay-Z, Nas. Mm. And I, I think... That's about it, because everybody else was before us or after us. So those right there. I'm so glad you, you mentioned Nas. He deserves yeah, a lot of love, a lot on. more love than people actually give him sometimes. I'm MC. Not that, <laughs> Quit playing. This is me. Okay. <laughs> right. So you say Nas and Jay Z, they still here, right? Yeah. Snoop Dogg is still here, but 
Tupac and Biggie not here. So what is Nas doing? He's dropping bomb-ass albums, done great business deals, a, a great venture capitalist. He's been to the tech side of the game in the Bay Area and made great moves. What did Jay-Z do? Motherfucker billionaire, Bron James, Rihanna, Kanye West. What did Snoop Dogg do? Motherfucker popping and bopping, salesman of the year, Super Bowl, this shit, that shit, kids programming. So you got to imagine that what the fuck would those two be doing if they was in our circle when we were all, we was neck and neck. I'll say Snoop probably was the biggest. Then when Tupac got released, he became the biggest. But when Snoop was the biggest, Biggie came out and became the biggest. So it was always a, a juggle. When I was at my biggest at my prime, nobody could fuck with me. When Biggie came, nobody could fuck because. When Pac came back around, nobody could fuck because. Nas was always up there because he was lyrical, but Nas wasn't confrontational. So when he got drawn into the Tupac beef, that's when motherfuckers started looking at him like a different, oh, he's up there. But he was always up there. His first album was always considered a classic. And then when he went up against Jay-Z, that lets you know the motherfucker was up there. Hello. So when you look at it today, <laughs> who would you put at the top of the game now? Is it yourself? Is it Jay-Z? Y'all still here? Nas, like you said, Nas, you still here? Eminem, I mean, listen, he's white. It's the baddest, one of the baddest dudes. This, this that motherfucker don't play. I, I love no Eminem. Ass. That's another dude I love. Eminem. He like, he like Larry Bird, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember when <laughs> niggas used to be like in the 80s, like, oh, that white boy shit. And you don't all say of a sudden, they're going to put 40 on your ass. You be like, hey, man, you know what? Larry exactly. Bird is a bad motherfucker, Exactly, man. exactly. Who you got at the top of the game now? Right now? Yeah. Right now, as we speak, I would say Drake, Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar. Got Can't to. forget him. Can't forget Kendrick Lamar. But I feel like Drake has been the most consistent, mm -hmm. sustaining. Drake special. Come on, man. Like, I remember when I first got up on him, I said this publicly, and he know it. He's my mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. I saw he ain't going to be here long. Boy, was I wrong. Mm -hmm. That motherfucker been here, came back, and still here. It's because of the of the know-how. He has the know-how. Like, he studied this game. Mm -hmm. Some people just get in it and just... You know, they got raw ability and they able to get by with a couple of seasons. But when you have a student, for example, Kobe Bryant, yeah, student, student, he studied the game. He studied Mike. He studied Akeem. He studied shit to where he was great. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, if you just come in just raw, you may have a couple of good seasons, but you ain't putting no studying down. You don't understand how to get better. Right. You don't know where you're weak at. You don't know where you're supposed to learn at. So it's like, to me, Drake is the epitome Kendrick is the epitome for the West because when he took the crown from me, he ain't look back. And when you look at these kids today, I shouldn't say kids, but I'm just talking about anybody just coming up in the game. Mm -hmm. Is that the advice that you give them to study I, to yeah, master their craft? You have to. something else. You have to study. You have to be a student and you have to be willing to listen and to learn in order to get better. Because one thing about this game it's always been a young man's game. Mm -hmm. And you don't stay young. You you gradually grow. But you can still be young at heart. That's right. You understand me? It's like people don't understand that I'm 50, about to be 51 years old. Mm. When I was coming up, if you was 25 years old, that was too old to be a rapper. That's right. Game's changed. Tell me I'm lying. Game's changed. It Game was changed. a teenage game. Rappers was for teenagers. If you're, you're barely in your 20s, you get to 24, 25, you should be done by now. I have a concern. I look at the hip-hop game right now, and again, there's all types of nonsense going on throughout the world. Right. We know that. 
you know, it's black on black crime. It's white on white crime. People killing folks in their own neighborhoods and stuff like that. They ain't just, you know, it ain't just black people doing that. It's everybody doing that to one another. But damn it, we black. Right. And so <laughs> our concern is going to be in that direction. Make no mistake about it. We only mm-hmm. make up about 13% of the population. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to be turn ourselves into a damn endangered species. But I'm looking at something right here. And I brought this list here. P&B. Shit broke my heart, just, man. Just got murdered. Shit broke my heart, man. It's still on my heart right now, man. Roscoe's. Good kid, man. Yeah. Good kid. And, no. and I'm like, it's like, I, I counted this year alone, man. I got 13. 13? Snooty Wild Goonie. Archie <sighs> Episode. Set of Moose Waller. Hypo. Trouble. FBG Cash. Money Gang. Vontae. Raleigh Bands. J.D. Youngin. You know, Young Slow you know, B. This shit remind me of, this shit remind me of the, the crack era. Once cocaine came to our neighborhood and everybody started having money and it was kill or be killed. If you had a lot of money, you had to protect it. If you had a lot of jewelry, you had to protect it. And it's like, that shouldn't be that way. Like you, you try to strive to have things so you can enjoy your life and then to have somebody take your life behind it. Mm. It makes people understand why certain individuals, when they get their money, they move far the fuck away from the hood. Mm. far the fuck away from the hood and get a new life because you can't change the environment. And sometimes the environment is just going to be what it's going to be. So but you once have to upon make... a time, Snoop, we have veered away from all of that. True. Time seemed that it wasn't as chaotic. Mayhem didn't seem as prevalent right. as it seems to be at this particular moment in time. Well, they wasn't you... making movies like The Purge when me and you was coming up. That's true. So you got to look at what we seeing, like, they portray what they want. I always watch TV, cartoons, movies, and all that shit, and I be like, oh, it's a hidden message behind this shit. Yeah. Ain't no accident why they start making these kind of movies and doing this kind of shit, because that's what they pushing. They want that. We believe what we see, not what we hear. Mm. And they control the narrative. That's why when... Who's they? Whoever the hidden right. hand is. Right. But once, once black Hollywood and black entertainment and black everything gets to a certain point, they knock us off. Because we controlling our own narrative. Mm. And then they make us fight each other. When it should be, okay, all this power we got. When me and you was kids, Stephen A., were there any black billionaires? No. I never heard of a black billionaire when I was a kid. Never. There are a bunch of them now that are our friends. Yes. (laughs) But do they come together? No. They just are friends. Yes. Do they say, hey, let's put together Black Billionaires Boys Club. Where everybody just... pool our resources on an NFL team. Here's what I'm going to say. On NBA team. I can speak to a brother that has been that for me, Master P. Mm. Master P saved me from death row, gave me a three-album deal, paid Suge Knight to get me out of that contract, gave me brand new money. When my three-album deal was over with, he let me go, didn't want none of my label, didn't want none of my money, didn't ever come back and ask for nothing. Mm. 20-some years later, me and Master P, we getting together, hanging out, chilling, he doing things. Got a food line, don't y'all? Now watch this. He hits me one morning. Hey, man, I'm putting together something for you and your family, man. What you doing, P? I'll be over there tomorrow. He pulls up, Snoop Loops, got my mama face on the box where ancient mama used to be, <laughs> brought his food, breakfast group, grits, oatmeal, pancake mix, syrup for my family. Wow. With my mama face on it. Mm. Man, that, that made, that yes. touched yes. my heart, man, mm. that you care enough about me. To create a generational business for me and my family that's going to make money when I'm gone. 
when my kids is gone. I'm glad you brought that up because Master P, people, at, at times, people have been critical of him, particularly like when he tried to be an agent and he was representing Ricky Williams years ago in the NFL and all of this other stuff. I said, do you realize what this brother's trying to do? You realize where his heart's like? I said, He doing I said, what I, LeBron I said, doing yeah, now. There we go. They just didn't respect go. him because he's from the South. Right. They thought he was country. Mm. All this shit LeBron doing now is what Cuz was doing. Mm. Do you know that DeMar DeRozan and all them was up under Master P? I did not know that. When they went to SC with Lil Romeo, Master P was the, the guy that was looking out for them and right. setting them up and giving them the look that they needed in professionalism. Mm. Professionalism. Yeah. That's what he teaches. He teaches professionalism and business. Mm. Like, I have no business if I just go to the school of death row from 1991 to 1996. Zero business sense. When I joined No Limit Records in 1997 to 2000, look at my career. Look at Snoop Dogg's career from 2000 to right now. Look at all of the branding, the business, the moves, the big shit that I do. It's because I was taught by Master P, the school of No Limit. I went to No Limit University for three years. If you had to crystallize what Master P taught you, what you would like to teach cats on a come up, cats already in the game. Cats, because I know knowing you the way that I do, you want a whole bunch of LeBrons. Right. You want a whole bunch of masterpieces. Yes. You, you don't want to be a successful no. by yourself. You don't want to be the only pitchman. You want to make sure everybody getting, everybody eating. Pete taught me branding, marketing, and then the most important thing that he taught me is product don't talk. Product don't talk. Just listen to what I'm. Just listen to what I'm saying. Just listen. If I sign you right now, and you don't like the contract in six months. Me and you gonna be arguing, you gonna be talking shit on the air about me, I'm gonna be talking about you. Product. I put this on the shelf, ain't gonna say a motherfucking word, just gonna bring the money back. Product don't talk. Mm. He's into selling product instead of trying to make stars. Yeah. And, and that's what the man do. The man sells product. How many companies are named after a family? Mm. Let's try Kraft. Let's try Miller. Let's try Hilton. Let's try a Kellogg. Let's just let's just keep going on and on. Yeah. How, but how many of them look like me and you? None. None. So ancient mama, this is what I found out through Master P. Ancient mama was a slave chained to a table cooking pancakes for her slave master. Mm. So when they put her face on there, and once it was exposed, they naturally had to snatch that shit off the market and clear those aisle spaces. So now Master P got my mama face on the box in the same lane, filling those voids. <laughs> Talk to me, Stephen A. It's beautiful. Ain't it? And it's brilliant. And more importantly, it's conscientious on his part. It's thoughtful. For me. It's a man that knows he appreciates his history. And more importantly, he appreciates bringing people, bringing people up because he don't want to be man. standing on top alone. Come on, man. You didn't have to do that for me. I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah. But I ain't doing that. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because let me tell you what you do do. First of all, you're a brilliant brother. You're smart as hell. Um, I love my association with you because people think I'm against weed when I've always said, I don't give a damn. I'm against you losing your money for weed. Let me say it for you. You always speak to those who have a boss that do not permit them to smoke. Now, if your job does not have ramifications or a shield or NBA logo or anything that could cause you to lose your job or your money, He's giving you advice. I'm giving the same advice. I stand by Stephen A. That's stupid to lose your job 
over some fucking weed. Mm. If you know your job don't allow you to do it, you have to cut that out of your game. Right. Or find another job. Do you think these folks like will AB. listen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Do you think do you think these cats will listen? Because in this day and age, I gotta tell you, I've got concerns. Because I, again, when we were growing up, even though we wanted to do our own thing, right. even though we wanted to be our own boss, we had to listen. We had to listen. Cats now, because again, we controlling the narrative a bit more, they don't feel they have to listen. But and because they don't have to listen, they won't listen to people they should be listening to, particularly people like yourself right. who has the best of intentions. Do you not find yourself, particularly with the hip hop industry, do you not find yourself concerned about that at all? Very concerned. But what I think is going to happen, because I've been watching, it looks to me like those leagues are going to make an altar for this. Okay. It looks like they're going to say, you know what? That's not our concern. Right. The marijuana. I'm not talking about the weed. Oh. I'm talking about everything. Oh, the violence and I'm all the other about, shit. I'm talking about somebody's sitting there and looking at the history of Snoop Dogg. Mm -hmm. Understanding where he came from. Right. To where he's at. Right. What he did to maneuver himself through that terrain to get to where he is today. Mm -hmm. Understanding there's a bigger play. There's a better play. Just chill. Put your head down. Be on your grind. Do what you got to do. Market. Brand. Right. Put in the work. Et cetera, et cetera. I'm to a point, Snoop, I don't know if they'd listen to you. They and won't. who wouldn't listen to you? They won't because you got to understand they're young, wild, and free. And hard head make a soft ass. And sometimes it's good for them to go make that mistake because that's how that's how I learned. I can't tell you, you know, based off of non-experience. I can only tell you based off of experience. I went to jail a lot of times for jail. It was certain countries I would go to, Stephen A. Where I didn't even have no fucking weed. They would just pull up on the side of the tour bus. Hey, nigga, get off the bus. Huh? Yeah, you. Get in the car. Where I'm going? You going down. We finna give you a test right now to see if you on drugs. Yes. Mm. Took me down in Switzerland, uh, uh, Norway, came on a bus, snatched me off, made me go to the police station, peed in the cup. I was only in that town for like four hours. I had just left Amsterdam. And they knew you were there. We're looking for you. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we have to know and understand, like, even when it comes to overseas, like with the Britney Griner thing, I got to bring that up. Yeah, please do. America, your laws don't mean shit over there. Your fucking judicial system is nothing to them. They have their own way of doing things. And when you over there, you have to be on your best behavior. You have to know how you moving, who you moving with. And if you're a celebrity, the best thing you can do is have some hired law enforcement or some people from the judicial system moving with you that speak their language. So in case something do happen, the communication is there. Because what you don't want to do is be in a situation where you're in another country, you don't know their judicial system, and now you out of luck because their laws say that you can't come home. I brought up the Brittany Griner situation in this regard. Everybody was making noise about how she we got to get her out of there. We got to get out of there. And I got nervous. Because that, you know ma that makes because, them say we're going to keep her in because here. Because I'm like, I said, this is Vladimir Putin we talking about. And he watching y'all. This is, this is Putin. He don't care. That might inspire him to, to keep her. The more you want her out, the more he want her in. And what he's leveraging now is, I need to get him out, him out, and him out yes. if y'all want her out. And by the way, it's patience. Yes. Because the war between Russia and the Ukraine ain't ended anytime soon. 
And they ain't so talking about it no know. more. So he don't know. Why they headline what news no more? Say what? Why it's not headline news no more? Remember he used to start the news off? That's right. I don't even hear about it no more. Because he ain't going nowhere. He's like, this, go, this, this is the marathon. This ain't the sprint. We don't have to worry about this. Wow. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? So thinking about all of that Just a few more minutes here with the great Snoop Dogg Hey man, take your time, man We enjoying the moment right now You understand me? We flashbacking <laughs> Walk of Fame Hollywood, Hollywood Walk of Fame You were on there, you made a very, very popular statement Everybody put it on Instagram every day. I want to find, and last but not least, I want to thank me. <laughs> I want to thank me. I, that was that was so fly that you did that. You um, know that was a freestyle. Why? Of course it was. I could not write that. Why? I I mean the obvious answer is because of all of that hard work you put in and all the things you articulated. But with so many people that you personally have to thank, why was it important for you to save you for last? Because I looked in the crowd. And I'm going to tell you the honest to God truth. I seen my mother. I seen Dr. Dre. I seen Quincy Jones. And I seen Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. And I was like, the motherfucking captain is here, cuz. <laughs> the captain is here. You know what? It, it must be about me. This ain't no conceited moment. This is a, a confident moment to be confident in myself and have that self-esteem to know that it was me that did it. It was me that had to get up and do the work. It was me that had to go read the lines. It was me that had to go prepare myself. It was me that had to go make sure that I was on point in my lyrics and my look and my, it was me. I need to thank me. I need to pat me on the back because I'm so busy thanking everybody else. I forgot about me. I told this to LL when he and I spoke. You and I go back many years and it was important that I spoke to you as one of my first interviews because I wanted to let the world know that I got to give a personal thanks to my brother that's always been there for me, always, always giving me guidance and advice. We sharing it with each other. Mm -hmm. We giving it, we, we taking it and giving it to each other all the time. But the greatest thing that people like yourself have helped me with is giving me the courage to bet on myself. Mm. See, doing, what's up my brother? It's all right, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> you know, to me, the biggest thing was, I always was, I always knew I was gonna be successful. Right, in your mind you knew that. But I I said, I'm gonna do it the way my mom told me to do it. See I'm gonna put my head down, See how you I'm gonna scratch back to your mama? claw, I'm gonna work hard. See how you go back to That's mama? That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. But what I didn't do was say, excuse me, no cushion. Mm. This ain't about the job. This is about me. Yeah. And I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to bet on myself. And this ain't going to be the typical thing that I'm going to do just talking sports. I'm going to do something else because I know I could do this. That's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to thank you, my brother, for helping instill that level of confidence for me to just say, hey, I'm going to do what I got to do. Sink or swim. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because to me, that's what you've been doing your entire adult life. But you know what? You always say Aaron Rodgers is a bad, bad man. But yeah. Stephen A. Smith is a bad, bad, bad <laughs> motherfucker, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, before I let you go, 
If you had a message that you could give, I mean, like you said, over 20 albums, you know, I remember you acting in Training Day. I mean, obviously you've acted in several films and several, several television shows and everything like that. We all know that history. You know, you're, you're a product pusher, an endorser. Yes, sir. I, I mean, first of all, I want you to go down the list if you can remember off the top <laughs> of the head of who the hell you have right now. Uh, but, but more importantly, what do you want people to know about Snoop Dogg in 2022? I want y'all to know that I'm, uh, I'm having fun and I'm living and I've been doing this hip hop thing since I was an adolescent and you can continue to grow and be fresh and fly and respect the young generation and you can continue to be you at all times. I just love to just inspire people. I love when people smile and want to take a picture with me and want my autograph like that shit becomes nerve wracking to certain people, but I, I entertain that shit. I love it. I love when people is, waiting for me and shit outside the airport, waiting for me at the hotel. That's appreciation, you know what I'm saying? For people to appreciate me for so long, no matter what I've done, no matter how I've affected them, from the kids to doing my doggy land programming, which is on YouTube Kids right now, or to doing football, to doing giving back to the community, helping out. This is the thing that I was born to do. This is like my mother's spirit has became me. Like she always said I would be a preacher. And I feel like I'm a preacher for the right reasons. I'm not behind the pulpit in church. I'm in the streets mixing and matching like Jesus did. One and only Snoop Dogg. Appreciate you, baby. <laughs> you know it, my man. Love and the baby, Stephen A. Always. Come on now. The greatest. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts. Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre-order. I have signed these books, just so you know. So you can visit straightshooterbook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams. So go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir, straightshooterbook.com. Don't wait. It's entitled Straight Shooter. Check it out. Don't miss it.